Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello, prom party. This episode feels like home. (laughs) Not in a good way. (laughs) No, I agree with you completely. We are getting a little twee, a little angsty, and we're talking... Indie-rific? Indie-rific, absolutely, for sure. Uh, But we're heading back to 2010 today for Daydream Nation. No, not the Sonic Youth album of the same name, the movie. I wouldn't have known it was a Sonic Youth album because I took the Juno quote of, I listen to more Sonic Youth, it's just noise, to heart, because I've just never gotten into them. (laughs) Okay, you know, that's understandable. I like Sonic Youth. Um, It is a lot of noise. I get it. It's a fair criticism. (laughs) I'll take five songs by them, maybe, the more melodic ones, and then call it a day. So this episode is coming in like a weird place in our schedule, but we realized that there's been kind of just an emptiness from right around this time period on the show. Mm-hmm. And we were really thinking like, we, we really need something in like the early part of the 2010s or the latter part of the aughts. Like that's what we need. And Daydream Nation came to my head and it's just such an oddly placed film mm-hmm. in the scope of teen movies. And I think... That's why it's even more important to talk about. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense for when it was released. It doesn't make much more sense to most people outside of that, but we'll get into it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the Frendango synopsis this week is so short. I think next to 16 Candles, this is the shortest uh, Fandango synopsis from our Frendango we've gotten yet. Mm -hmm. And it is just a bored teenager, Kat Dennings, has affairs with her teacher and a stoner classmate. Yeah, calling her bored is correct. Mm-hmm. Calling her bored is absolutely correct. Saying that she's sleeping with two guys at the same time, that is also correct. But I think that that does such a disservice to what the true core of this movie really is. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, this movie to me has always been, what if the manic pixie dream girl took control of her own narrative, mm-hmm. number one, And number two, this is such a wonderful look at what teenage life is like for people that live in shithole small towns all across the country, which is most teenagers, mind you. Yeah. So uh, a thought that I had when we were watching this movie is I was trying to kind of place it in my brain in a lot of weird ways that didn't make sense because it was kind of hard to place it. 
Um, the first half of this movie, it's just kids fucking around. I'm like, oh, this is dazed and confused, but for nihilists. Mm-hmm. Great. It's not. It doesn't have that beautiful sheen of the '70s or like the '90s being the '70s, and therefore it is depressing. Or um, we talked about this a little bit on our Teaching Mrs. Tingle episode about how critics unfavorably compared that movie to Election, a movie that they liked significantly more because it was told from an adult's perspective and went like, look, teens are stupid. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, and I mean this in like a very trepidatious way because of the hazardous nature of this movie. um, In a different world, this could have been... uh, a, a critic's darling, like American Beauty, but that's told from a shithead perspective of an adult. Mm-hmm. But it has the same bored, want to get out of town, pissed off teens mm-hmm. that this does. But this is their story. Right. This is being told from the perspective of the teenager and not of the inappropriately behaving adult. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely contributes as to why people don't like this movie. So before we dive in any deeper, let's get our morning announcements out of the way. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies. And we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag ThisEndsAtProm or at ThisEndsAtProm. Alrighty, so Harmony, can you paint a picture of what was going on in the teen movie world around this time period? Because I think this is one of those examples where the time period in which it came out is really, really important as to why it was received the way that it was. And just why it is what it is. Yes. So here's the thing that I didn't realize until we kind of were looking at the schedule and breaking all this down is we spend very, very little time on this show around the turn of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, we have only covered two films from like the 2009-10-11 period, and they were Easy A and Jennifer's Body, both of which were from like the first few months of the show when we weren't doing historical context yet. Mm-hmm. And arguably outside of Easy A, there aren't any major teen releases from this time. There's a lot of franchise stuff like Harry Potter, Twilight, uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid if you're a younger boy. There's like superhero stuff like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is picking up. You have Kick-Ass. You have Scott Pilgrim for boys. There are things uh, like the horror, horror movies are still doing major releases. We're seeing a lot of remakes around this period of time. Like yeah, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare, um, Fright Night, etc. But as far as like actual teen releases, especially stuff for girls, it's all direct to video. Totally. And we've done some movies from 2008. And I think that is the important thing is the line is 2009. Like from mm-hmm. 2009 to 2011. 
Oh, yeah, because once you get to 2012, it starts to make way more sense because you get big budget teen releases, probably because Twilight is wrapping up and Harry Potter's already done. Right. And that's exactly what happened is there is just a void in this three year period because it seems to me, in my opinion, that studios were like, well, our big teen releases of the year are going to be this vampire movie and this wizard movie. Everything else we're just going to shove into video rentals Mm -hmm. because this is also the cusp of when big box video stores like Blockbuster and Family Video are starting to go away, but we haven't fully pivoted into streaming the way that we have it now. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is a lot of these movies that got released at the latter part of the aughts, the early part of the 2010s, would get released direct-to-DVD they would end up in like those $5 bins at Walmart or, or they roses or roses if anyone even knows what that is outside of us. I bought a lot of $5 movies that are roses. <laughs> <laughs> but they would end up there or they would end up at the video store, but because video stores were dying and people also weren't going to them as much, you didn't have that weekly ritual of going there and finding what was new. So, I know for me, The mid part of the aughts, when I was still in high school, that is when I saw the swath of my teen movies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were movies that I saw because that's what was available. They were at the video store. I wasn't going to the video store as much when I was in college in 2010. We had a family video. I didn't go very often. Mm -hmm. So a lot of movies that I would have eventually got around to seeing just because I would have seen everything else at this point, I didn't see at all. So this is a movie that I ended up seeing a couple years after it came out. Um, I was definitely still in college, and it was solely because I was obsessed with Kat Dennings. I mean, we have talked very favorably about her more than once now. This is her third movie on the podcast. Yes, which I was kind of shocked. She's actually going to be one of those sleepers who I think is going to end up being in a lot more movies as this show goes on, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot more of these like, hey, remember that movie Um, where she pops up in? Big Mama's House 2? I don't think that's going to be one that ends up on the show. I'm not upset about that. But like Charlie Bartlett might. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I argue that that movie is as much her story as it is his. Yeah. But I was obsessed with Kat Denning, so I went, what the hell is this movie I've never heard of? And when I watched it, I was like, oh, this movie speaks to me, like Mm -hmm. quite intimately in ways that I should probably talk to my therapist about. (laughs) Yeah. And like, here's the thing is this has the feelings of like, DIY bands who are in the same scene and tour together and end up on the same bills together all the time in which this movie got no promotion because it went direct to DVD and the only time you would ever see this movie or movies like it would be you rent a DVD and then you have the unskippable previews before you can get to the DVD menu where it shows you a similar low budget indie fare that might cater to your tastes. Oh, you're absolutely right. Like, this is one of those movies that I would never have known to look for had, you know, I not been obsessed with Kat Dennings. Mm -hmm. And I probably would have ignored it because also, while the title is an obvious reference to the Sonic Youth album, it doesn't really tell me what this movie is actually about. Mm -hmm. And what this movie is actually about is really, really interesting to me. So... Let's kind of dive in and get very fucking messy. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So Kat Dennings plays a character named Caroline. And, oh, I have so many feelings, but I would love to hear your feelings first. Caroline is the kind of person that I would have absolutely 
felt uh, uh, just the gender stuff aside, I would have felt kinship towards in high school if I had seen this when I was in high school, which like by the time it came out, I'd already graduated. But the kind of person who is already sick of like the rat race of high school and is too smart for it and too good for it and just chooses not to be around classmates. Like an interesting note, I think, about this movie is that despite it being a teen movie, despite it being about like a teacher and a high school and whatever, I think this movie works really well for adults watching it because it has nothing to do with the school ecosystem. Right. They exist in the school because you need to have that establishment between her and the teacher. Like that needs to be made clear. But it is not about, like, the cruel politics of high school. There are references to it to paint a picture of this town as a whole and sort of the mindset and the mentality of the people within the town. Like, it opens with the story of Laura Lee, which is a girl who is apparently really smart, has perfect attendance, but she moonlights as an exotic dancer. And in response, the boys at school light up coins and then flick them at her to try to burn her. Mm-hmm. And then in a very Twin Peaks-esque way, she eventually dies because there is also a serial killer on the loose going on throughout the entire story. It's, it's very knives and skin in that sense. Very much so. Like, there's a there's a sense of a hopelessness. So, like, you do get stories about the kids in the school. There are things that take place in the school. But it is not about being in high school. No, like, if you were to compare this to, like, Easy A, that is wholly about, like, reputations and word of mouth and the ecosystem of school. Like, Jennifer's body around the time, which, like, obviously wasn't a big deal at the time, but we've reappraised it in subsequent years appropriately. Um, That is all about, like, the most popular girl in school. And, you know, the the idea of, like, people think she's a cheerleader, but she's not. She's a color guard. Mm -hmm. But it's very much about that ecosystem. This is like, no, I'm too good for this. Like, I'll go. I'll do a better job than everyone else to show that I'm smarter than them because I am. But I don't want to be here. I don't want to be perceived or interact with any of you. If anything, I'm going to crush every single one of you if you happen to talk to me. That's the kind of person Caroline is. Yes. And something else that I love about Caroline is that she's she's bored, first off. Um, yeah. she, That's the thing that the, that the Fandango got right more than anything else. Yeah. She moves to this small town after not being in a small town and... You know, a lot of times when we see these sorts of movies, it is kind of like a fish out of water situation of, oh, big person from the city doesn't know how to adjust to small town living. This fish is out of water because this fish grew legs. 100%. Yes, that's what's happening here. Like, this is such an interesting take on the fish out of water story because it isn't about, like, Caroline learning about, like, the humble beginnings and the appreciations of small town living. That's not like that. It's somebody who has seen the world who mm-hmm. knows what life is like outside of these small towns, having to move somewhere where this is all anyone there has ever known. Mm-hmm. So this is normal to them. This is the best that it's going to get for a lot of them. And she doesn't have that same desire. She doesn't share that same perspective. Mm-hmm. Her lived experience is entirely different. So she struggles to relate to a lot of these people. And that's why she finds herself so fixated on her teacher, because her teacher is a guy who got out of this town lived a life, fucked it up, mm-hmm. and ended up back here. And she's like, oh, no, I see you. Mm-hmm. I know what you're going through because I'm going through it. And I'm going to exploit this because I have nothing better to do. And also, we see this throughout the entire movie. 
She just has no interest in high school boys because she thinks they're all fucking idiots. Which they are fucking idiots. And you have this actual, this like, she she has like narration throughout pretty much the whole movie. Um, but this isn't even seen as like that taboo. Like this is fun. Like it, it's spicy. But she even points out that there's only like a two year difference between her and her teacher and her mom and her dad. So mm-hmm. it's not even like that weird. Mm-hmm. So it's the circumstances of how they get together that make it weird, but there's not a huge age gap. And I know that this is going to be a very unpopular take for a lot of people, but as somebody who has been built like Kat Dennings my entire life, yeah, high school boys did not know what to do with me. And I understand that desire. And I know we talked about it a little bit with our Assassination Nation episode, but I know what that is like, what it feels like to just want someone to to appreciate you and and find you beautiful without it being some like mouth breathing high schooler who can't control his hormones because you have titties. Huh. And on that note, do you want to go to her uh, age appropriate love interest? Because we'll dance around these three throughout the whole episode. Oh, Thurston. Oh, he is. I don't know if I've ever seen a high school boy who oozes sexlessness quite to the same extent that Thurston does. I love Thurston Goldberg. I think he is such a little weenie, and he is 1,000% the type of indie art boy that I just completely emotionally destroyed when I was in high school. The kinds that would write music about you? Yes. (laughs) So because I know we didn't say, like, the teacher's name, his name is Barry Anderson or Mr. A. So that's who we're playing with here is Thurston Goldberg, played by Reese Thompson, who he's done a lot of things. He's in, like, Perks being wall, wallflower. So we'll see him again eventually. Um, and then Mr. Anderson or Barry is played by Josh Lucas. And Josh Lucas is like such a weird actor for me because like he's he's the, the husband in Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, that movie crushed my spirit. Oh, yeah. When you were like, I remember it being great. And then it's like, I remember it really loving the Confederacy. I mean, it is <laughs> Alabama. I, I just, I didn't remember plantations. I didn't remember Fred Ward being a Civil War reenactor. Y- yeah. It just, the life drained from me over the course of that movie. <laughs> but I just remember Reese Witherspoon being so fucking cute. Yeah. And then you actually watched and you went, oh, no. Um, so, yeah, Josh Lucas, he's also in The Fucking Secret, which is one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, goodness. That's a movie where, like, The Secret is just manifest it and God will give it to you. So, spoiler, that's the secret. Um, so it's such a weird cast of characters. Also, Thurston's mom is played by Annie McDowell, who is like a national treasure in my opinion. So She's it's like, lovely. Where did all these people come from? Uh, Rachel Blanchard plays uh, Ms. Budge, the... The gym bitch? The, the gym bitch, as <laughs> Caroline calls her, the gym teacher who clearly has the hots for Mr. Anderson, but he doesn't want to be with her because she's a gym teacher at a high school in a small town. Mm-hmm. He's more interested in the ethereal young woman who is a 17-year-old muse, which... His manic pixie dream girl his emphasis manic pixie on dream girl. girl. Yes. So this is kind of the world that we're playing with here. And like you said, Thurston is like so sexless. Um, he and Caroline go on a date. They have sex because she's just like, sex is like kind of a non-issue for her, which oh, I yeah. really, really resonate with. There's a stupendous monologue slash, eviscer- slash evisceration of a fellow student in the bathroom about sex. Oh, yeah, the slut conversation. Oh, my God. If I can find that clip somewhere, I'm going to insert it right here. (laughs) Slut? What'd you call me? Uh, I think I just called you a slut, slut. Why? 
Because everyone knows that you've banged like 40 different guys since you came here. Really? 40? Okay. Let's just say I have banged 40 guys. What's the problem? You're just jealous because you've been uh, brainwashed by puritanical assholes to believe sex is a sin. But then again, your uh, little gerbil-sized brain has been reprogrammed by the media to believe sex is the be-all, end-all. So now you're stuck, right? Because on one hand, you love to fuck, but afterwards you feel overwhelmed by guilt and you're not sure why. Maybe it's because sex is neither as good or as evil as you've built it up to be. Shut up, slut. Jenny! Seriously. Listen to me. The highlight of your entire life is gonna be your yearbook photo. You are already nostalgic for shit that has not even happened yet because you have so precious little to look forward to. You're gonna spend the first half of your life planning your wedding. You're gonna spend the second half regretting it. And if I were you, and thank God I'm not because you have terrible hair, I would stop and I would reconsider your whole value system because everything you know is wrong. This lot conversation is actually something I knew about before I saw this movie because it was turned into Tumblr photo sets mm -hmm. and shared constantly. I mean, it's very correct. It's very and correct. And it's so mean. <laughs> yeah. But it's also very, very true. Like, I was kind of at that point when I was in high school where I used to tell people that I was going to be more upset if the person I was dating told another person, like, hey, I really like you or like you mean a lot to me, or even I love you, that hurts way more than sex. Mm -hmm. I was like, sex to me, like, that's not, it was such a non-issue for me. And that's, it, that's my own thing. And a lot of it has to do with, like, having my own history of sexual trauma. Like, it took a very long time for sex to mean anything to me. So when I was in high school, it certainly didn't mean shit. Mm -hmm. uh, I had sex with anybody that I felt like it, and it meant nothing. Like, mm -hmm. it, it was a tool to, to do with what I wanted, and that's how Caroline is using it. Yeah, and, like, here's the thing. She has sex with Thurston on a whim in their car, and he's trying to be like, what if we make it romantic? And she's like, I already have a seatbelt stabbing into my uterus. Like, I think romance is out the window. Mm -hmm. And she has condoms, but he doesn't. And he's, uh, unfortunately, a, a bit of a two-pump chump. He's a virgin. I know he's a virgin. He, and he, to be fair, he didn't know that this was going to happen that day, so he couldn't knock out that easy one early in the afternoon <laughs> so that he could have stood a better chance on his first time. But, like, that's neither here nor there. There is this sense for everyone else in this movie, and honestly, I think this is true in a, in a very general sense in this country, the importance of sex how that's the biggest deal when you're like 14 years old nothing will ever matter more because sex is tied to marriage and children and romance and love and ecstasy and pleasure and it's the most important thing imaginable and people place so much stake into it that it carries into their adult life and you see the importance of that in Thurston now and how he bless his heart he is so horny and in love and doesn't know what to do with it and it's in a much more pathetic sense with Mr. A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a, a very nice, a generous way of, of describing it. Because when it's Thurston and he's, you know, 17, 18 years old and he's a virgin, it makes so much more sense why mm -hmm. he's 
Like, oh, this is a big deal for well, yeah, me. He, he's like a burnout kind of loser. Yeah. And, you know, what's what's awful and a thing that we kind of glazed over is the night that Thurston and Caroline kind of, you know, meet. meet and he like falls in love with her and they have this like very intimate conversation mm-hmm. is the same night that Thurston's best friend dies in a horrible accident. And right before the accident, there's this conversation about like love and fate so now there's like this poetic indie boy sense to this relationship because he thinks he's in an indie movie because it's 2011 and that's what every like boy with feelings thinks is happening. 100%. I know I've said that a lot on this episode, but that's exactly what's happening it's fine. here. We get each other. Yeah, we, we, we agree. We get each other, we bro. We agree with each other. It's fine. That's <laughs> how good marriage works. <laughs> so yeah, Thurston absolutely gets like caught up in this whole thing because you know, it has to mean something, right? Like the the universe is clearly speaking to him. And sometimes it's like, buddy, sometimes it's just coincidence. Mm -hmm. Um, But Caroline is aware of that. And, you know, that's kind of what keeps her away from him at Mm -hmm. first. And also because she's fucking the teacher because that is more interesting to her. And that's precisely her her end game. She's like, this is just something interesting to do. It makes her feel very powerful. When she first seduces him, he's very much like, oh, God, and freaking out. And she's like, don't worry. I'm the one seducing you here. And it makes him feel at ease because she, she knows this guy. Mm-hmm. She knows how to manipulate this guy. She knows how to get what she wants out of this guy. The only thing she didn't account for is that he was as pathetic as he is, mm-hmm. and he is a full-ass adult willing to get caught up with a romance with a 17-year-old. Yeah, like, she thought this was going to be something spicy and taboo, and it was going to be kept, like, kind of under the covers, and then he developed feelings, and that wasn't part of the plan, and it really sucks the fun out of it. Like, if you, like, in any circumstance, if you're doing something just to have, like, a fling with someone... And you kind of are going into it and approach it with the idea that it's a temporary fling. And then they're like, I'm in love with you obsessively and creepily. It's not fun anymore. (laughs) Is this where I talk about my thing? I mean, if you want (laughs) to. I I also have a thing that I can talk about. But mine's a a lot more from the Thurston perspective, although I'm not quite as pitiful. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, God, this is going to make people feel some kind of way about me. But this is part of my teenage life. So I've talked a lot on this show about how I was not the most uh, straight and narrow uh, Mm -hmm. throughout high school. And despite my queerness, I often did seek out the company of men because it gave me a weird power trip. I knew exactly how I was being viewed by these men, and it made me feel like I had autonomy over the way that they were looking at me. Uh Like, there's a lot of things I've broken down. Yes, I am in therapy. I have been in therapy, and I will continue to be in therapy. Forever. (laughs) Forever. Therapy for life. (laughs) (laughs) And something that I I think I've, like, talked around in terms of of a behavior. I might have talked about it a bit on our assassination nation, but if you've not heard that episode. uh, It's one of my favorites. When I was 14, um, I was dating a guy who was 19, Um, for the first, like, three months of our relationship, he did not know how young I was because I don't look it, and it just never came up. It was like, oh, well, where do you go to school? I would say my high school. He just assumed I was a senior, didn't ask any questions, and I was not ready to, like, offer up, like, hey, I'm 14. Uh Um, Is that a a bad on me? Of course. Is it a bad on him? Of course. 
we're teenagers. We're fucking idiots. Mm -hmm. So when he and I broke up, I would have been at that time 15. <laughs> um, I was at a party that was a lot of his friends. It was, it was hosted by one of his friends. And at said party, I met a different guy. Was I sober? No, was not sober at all. Uh, met this guy. Uh, he was wearing a T-shirt or something that I liked. We flirted a little bit. And then I was so fucking angry about having been broken up with. I was like, I'm just going to fuck this guy. Fuck that guy. Whatever. Move on with my life. Mm -hmm. My actual senior year of high school, I uh, was a teacher's assistant for a couple of classes or an aide, whatever you want to call it. Because you would be, of course. Because, again, Tracy Flick. So I was an aide, and I knew that my teacher was going to be leaving because his wife was going on – his wife was about to have a baby. So I knew he was going to be gone on maternity leave. I was going to have to deal with some fucking student teacher or a sub or something for a couple weeks. And uh, because the universe is a real hilarious bitch, the dude that I had fucked as a 15-year-old drunk at a party ended up being the student teacher that I had to aid for. So – this dude walks in the room. I'm there first. No other students are there. And he's just like, for the love of God, tell me you're a student teacher. Mm -hmm. And I went, nope. I'm a senior. And I watched him do the math in his head. And he was like, oh, my God, and realized what had happened. And I was like, dude, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Mind you, this is also the end of my senior year. I am 18 at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was very awkward. And I was like, look, we, we're both adults. And he's like, you are not an adult. And I was like, well, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enough like, of one. <laughs> I was like, I'm enough of one. I was like, we can be cool about this. I was like, I won't make it weird if you won't make it weird. I'm obviously not going to say anything. I haven't said anything in those three years since. Why the fuck would I? Uh -huh. So we were fine. Everything was chill. And then uh, towards the end of the school year, like as graduation's coming around, where there's that weird like week where seniors kind of don't really have to be there uh -huh. like we're done we're graduating everyone just kind of fucks off yeah um i started sleeping with this dude because i was like this is funny and this will make for a great story yeah and it does yeah um so i did a lot uh i would frequently like drive up to where he was living he lived on the other side of the the state line he was in kenosha wisconsin so uh -huh. i would go up to kenosha and like we'd hang out and like fuck around and it was this very weird thing where it was like i'm i'm fucking a teacher like you're crossing state lines I'm to crossing fuck a state lines to fuck a teacher and i remember n never did it cross my mind of like oh there's something clearly wrong with me for doing this it was very much like i'm in the power position here Mm -hmm. And that feels really good. Mm -hmm. Oh, does that feel really good? And fortunately, it never got weird. Like, we knew what the parameters were. This was clearly, like, a physical thing. It was not a relationship. And I'm very grateful for that. Because had it been that way, that would have been a problem. And, like, I just went to college the next year, didn't think anything of it. And anytime I would come back home for, like, breaks or whatever, if we were both single at the time, it was like, hey, you want to do something? And it's like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And it was just, like, a very casual thing of, like, we are in a place that we don't want to be in a small town where a lot of people don't fully understand anything about us. And this is kind of fun. So let's do it. Like, it had nothing to do with, like me having like sexual needs and my queerness or whatever it was purely like i need this power high like i need mm -hmm. it <laughs> yeah. because otherwise i'm gonna explode no no i totally understand that like uh, this is something i haven't brought up on the show either is that when i was 16 
possibly 15 years old, I was dating someone who was 21. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, she, we never did anything below, like, chest height. I think we almost exclusively made out and hung out and did all that sort of stuff. But there was this, um, not so much excitement in the sense that, like, I was dating someone who was way older. Like, that was not really a factor for me. And she also, we met at a Halloween party. And then later at like a Dunkin' Donuts. So she had no idea how old I was because it's not like we met in school or anything like that. Um, But there was this sense that I'm like 15, 16 years old and there is now a feeling of freedom because I'm hanging out with people who have like jobs, which means they have money and they can go places and they can do things. And like I've I've escaped high school in this really temporary sense. Mm -hmm. And like that's exciting and it's freeing. Like, even, even if it's, like, some, one of their friends who's, like, I went to college in Wisconsin and then dropped out after two years. It's, like, but you got out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it was just to Wisconsin. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also, my mom had, like, a weird naming convention for this woman I was dating. Where, like, for, for without dropping names, for the sake of this conversation, um, if her name was, like, Wendy, my mom would go, oh, Wendy's, like the restaurant. Anyway, I'm going to just call her Baconator without asking. <laughs> It was like that. It was a very strange naming convention <laughs> that, like, she continued to call her for years after we stopped seeing each other. And what's interesting is, like, your mom had no issue with this. Like, knowing full well how old this person was. Mm-hmm. I did my shit in secret because I knew this was a problem. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's weird with uh, boys and older women. Like, that's not that's seen yes. as taboo in this country. Right, um, right. But, yeah, like, after that and other things happened that were not with her, um, I just spent pretty much the late teens and early to mid 20s of my life flirting with people in their 30s and 40s mm-hmm. like ah yes gay men give me the validation that i need ah yes older canadian trans women sure why not right like whoever would pay attention to me um so i'm not as pitiful as thurston but a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and something to to make very very clear on this show we are not excusing our past behaviors no nor are we encouraging it and saying that this is something that all teens should everyone should give it a try yeah no that's not what we're saying at all we're just speaking about our lived experiences which happen to be in hindsight Mm -hmm. really fucked up Mm -hmm. and so i'm glad that we shared this because i i read through a lot of reviews of this movie because i saw that it had kind of like mixed to negative reviews from critics and i read a bunch of them and in my opinion It is so very apparent which critics grew up in wealthy areas or in big cities and which critics did not. Oh, yeah, because for the sake of this movie, it's it's shot in Canada, but this could be, you know, Oregon. This could be Pennsylvania. This could be West Virginia. Yeah, just could be Ohio. It could be Wisconsin. Somewhere with with lots of emptiness and maybe some trees. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like Oklahoma. It's not wide open spaces, but it's somewhere in the middle of nowhere like that. Right. So the people who liked this movie were like, this is a really accurate portrayal of what it's like when you live in a small town that you would give nothing more than to escape, warts and all. Uh Because that's the thing, is it's not pretty. It's not cute. It's not a twee little Juno-esque indie movie. It's it's not. Mm -hmm. It's Daydream Nation. This is a proper indie movie. Yeah. This isn't a studio indie movie. No, it's teenagers making really fucking bad decisions and doing drugs because there's nothing else to do. 
And that is just so normalized to the point where people don't even blink an eye at it. It's that shit that all y'all eat up when Euphoria does it, but when people with no money do it, it's a little more, oh God. Yes, absolutely. And then the people who didn't like this movie, a comment that I saw come up over and over again is people saying that this script feels like a very special episode or an after school special and like it's falling into these tropes or oh kids are dying in car accidents and there's people that are having affairs with their teachers and it just feels like an after school special trope and I had to sit there and I was like it's an after school special to these people because they don't know anyone where that's the truth whereas when I look at it Nothing about that reads very special episode because that was life. Mm -hmm. That is how so many of us grew up. I knew plenty of kids that did drugs because there was nothing better to do. I knew plenty of kids who lost their parents to some horrible, unforeseen circumstance or just fucking left because they wanted to. I knew plenty of people who had babies when they were in high school. Like teen pregnancy was huge at my school. I knew plenty of people who were fucking people way older than they should have been mm-hmm. because they had nothing better to do. Oh like, my God, my boyfriend who's in college. Right. Like or this, this is d- not an after school special. This is just how a lot of people fucking live. But we are too afraid to have those conversations because they're icky and they're messy. Mm-hmm. Like I think about uh, a teacher that taught social that taught social studies, but also was the head football coach. And all the girls in like sophomore and junior year thought he was so sexy. And he just looked like some guy to me. But one day he just disappeared and he was like, oh, yeah, he's not coming back to school next year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Like things like this just happen. And that's the thing is it, and it's not always a Lifetime movie. It's not always this big, salacious, scandalous thing. Sometimes it's like very fucking casual and everyone involved knows this is a fucking problem. Mm-hmm. This is not good. This is very illegal. We should not be doing this, but we don't care. And like... This also gets into this really weird place because I've I've tried talking to people about what I did as a high schooler before, right? And every time I mention like, oh, well, I I had sex with somebody who was definitely like a teacher, a student teacher, but a teacher. Mm-hmm. And immediately it's like, oh, well, he groomed you. And I'm like, I assure you he did not. No, you were in the you were in the driver's seat. I was in the driver's seat in this situation and I was 18. The power dynamic, yeah, that's a problem. Like that shouldn't have happened. But in this situation, no, I absolutely was the one in charge. Nothing, there was no grooming. I yeah. knew what I wanted. Yeah. I pursued him. Yeah. And that's all a conversation no one wants to have because if you have that conversation and if you open that window even slightly. Then of, all these bad things come flying Then out. all these bad things come flying out where anybody who has ever abused their power suddenly can be like, well, no, they pursued me actually. This 12-year-old pursued me I mean, actually. Yes, they can pursue you, but you're the adult and you should say Stop it. Yes. It is, no. It is the hard candy rule of when a child says, hey, do you want to make screwdrivers? You take the alcohol away and don't try to race them to the next drink. Like that is that is the mentality that a lot of people should have. But when you are 17, 18, it gets a little messier. And we don't ever want to acknowledge that mess because doing so then allows like you, you give an inch, people are going to take a mile. Like mm-hmm. that's what happens because obviously – What happened to me in my situation is not the same as like the systemic trend that we have of people who abuse their positions of as educators in power to take advantage of their students. Uh Like it's not the fucking same thing. And the unfortunate reality is that both of those things exist. They're not one in the same. Uh And that's not to say like if we got busted, like 
yeah, it would have been a problem and it would have been really shitty because he would have gotten in a lot of trouble and I probably would not have gotten in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I have mixed feelings about that because it was me. <laughs> like It really was me in that situation. But again, like this is a messy fucking movie. And I think like that messiness makes people uncomfortable mm-hmm. because they want it to be this like. They want it to be clean and easy. But it's like, no, you have to speak in a lot of gray areas. This whole thing is gray. This whole the movie sky, is gray. The sky is gray because there's an industrial fire that won't burn itself out. And which is why this makes me feel like, oh, it's Pennsylvania because of that coal mining town that's been mm-hmm. burning forever that inspired Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. Like this place, eventually they have to wear gas masks when they're outside because this place is literally killing them because everything is so gray and gloomy. Yeah. And and that's the thing is people don't want to accept that the, that grayness exists not just when we're adults. It also exists when we're kids. Oh, it exists so much more when you're kids and you do dumb things and make mm-hmm. lots of mistakes. Absolutely. And like, again, just to hammer it home because I don't want people to, to misconstrue what I'm saying. And unfortunately, I don't trust the internet. You want to know more about that? Join our fucking Patreon. We talk about it all the time. I'm not condoning anything that I did as a high schooler, but I'm also not going to lie about it. And I'm also not going to try to reframe it in a way that is untrue. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing. Caroline knows what she's doing. She knows that it's bad. She just doesn't fucking care because there's this thing that happens to you when like you've been forced to grow up too fast or when you look a certain way and the world treats you differently where you do kind of stop caring you become really nihilistic you become really cynical Mm -hmm. and that's what we're witnessing here is we're witnessing what happens when somebody doesn't get to be a teenager Uh uh-huh and so mr a is an author oh my god he writes like 70 pages in his manuscript and his agent thinks it's really well written which to me feel which caroline also says which to me feels like a really polite way of saying you wrote this well but <laughs> there was a thing going around on Twitter the other day that was like hurt a screenwriter's uh, feelings without actually insulting them. And it's always like, you made some bold choices. Uh-huh. Like, it's very much like, oh, it's very well written. Mm-hmm. That says nothing of the story and only of the technique. Yeah, like he is, uh, he's clearly writing a, like an autobiography that isn't because he doesn't want to seem self-centered. And it's all about how like, he got a job and moved to the city and then met a woman and they got married and then she cheated on him on his twister mat. His twister mat. And then he was like, I'm going to become a serial killer, but he didn't have the guts. And then he was like, I'm going to shoot myself and then didn't have the guts for that either. I also love that when we get this montage of like who he is during the, I'm going to be a serial killer. Wait, I don't have the guts. I'm going to kill myself. Wait, no, I don't have the guts. He's definitely doing like a Travis Bickle thing from Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that makes it even more pathetic. Any man who has ever worn a jacket and done the taxi driver monologue, red flag. Exactly. And also, Lou Reed is playing, and it's from the Berlin album, which is a particularly depressing album. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's part of it. Um, but it's just, she's reading this in the middle of the night after they had sex and she's staying at his place for the weekend. And then falls asleep. He comes home and sees her. or He wakes up, comes downstairs, and sees her, like, passed out on his book. He's like, oh, my God, what'd you think? What do you think of my of my manuscript where I refer to you as this ethereal being who's saving my life because I'm so in love with you? And Caroline has a meltdown about that. As she rightfully should, because he paints her in the most manic pixie dream girl brush as humanly possible. You're literally saving me. Yeah. 
and she tells him exactly what he needs to hear and ends things with him. And he handles it um, in the absolute worst possible way that you should. He handles it about as well as his book would lead you to think he would. Oh, my God. So first off, as, as we've discussed, they are in an inappropriate relationship. Mm-hmm. They need to keep their mouths shut. Which, like, they do a better job of that early on. And then he loses it because he gets too caught up because now he's found this muse and it means so much to him. Mm -hmm. And he stops caring about the circumstances of their relationship and the Mm -hmm. fact that discretion is key. So not only does he have the full breakup meltdown of bleaching his fucking hair. Badly. Badly. No toner. Oh, They're like, oh, my God, your hair looks so good. You look like Brad Pitt. And I was like, when did Brad Pitt ever have shitty hair like this? look awful. It's not toned. (laughs) It's terrible. It's like still brown at the bottom and the back. Yeah. It's uneven. (laughs) It's not good. And it is clearly like the the manic breakup, I must fix my hair thing. So he comes to school and he's got that. And also he's wearing a short sleeve button up with a tie, which is in December, which is one of my least favorite looks. It never looks good unless you are fronting an emo band. You look like a dummy. Don't do that. I think you're allowed to do it if you're like in your 50s or older and are like a like a chubby teacher with a beard. I think you're allowed to get away okay, with not looking fair. cool then. Yeah, but he looks ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's because he's trying to look cool. He's wearing black. Mm-hmm. He's got his dyed hair. He's like, look at me. I'm young. I'm cool. Yeah. I'm hip. I'm fresh. And rather than just, you know, moping and seeing her in class and dealing with his feelings, he instead interrogates Thurston. Oh, not only does he interrogate him, he like has to one-up this child. He wa- Yes, he has to one-up a child. Be like, yeah, we've been fucking. What do you think about that, huh? And it's just like the whole time you're watching it and you're like, you fucking idiot. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you like this? Why are you like <laughs> this? Um, so, yeah, he says that to Thurston, who obviously does not handle it well because no. he's a very sensitive actual high school boy it makes sense that he has a meltdown and starts crying and throws a lamp in his living room and says get away from me like Mm -hmm. makes complete sense having a fit in the living room while they're setting up the christmas tree oh god it's it's such a sight that is such an emo boy song lyric yeah oh my god yeah it really is like i found out you were cheating on me when my mom was putting up the christmas tree like that is what is happening here yep So he has a full meltdown. He's obviously he could be handling it better. I'm not condoning somebody breaking things in in frustration, but he he has a full meltdown and Caroline knows it. She's like, yeah, I deserve this. And it's just like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to go like she doesn't cry. She doesn't try to fight. She doesn't try to do anything. She just kind of accepts this and is like, yeah, but I fucked up. Yeah, I fucked up. Mm -hmm. And she even apologizes to his mom and is like, I'm sorry. I was trying something new. And uh, I was being stupid. And the mom has been a big fan of her since day one. Like, oh, my God, your hair is beautiful. You're a striking young lady. She makes cupcakes to try and win Caroline's dad over. Mm -hmm. And then when that doesn't work. Because this dad, this dad has no time for this pathetic little boy and just gives him the cold shoulder so hard whenever he shows up to try and woo his daughter. Thurston's mom then, like, comes over and try to, like, and tries to, like, seduce Caroline's dad with cupcakes and wine so that his daughter has to go out with her son. Yeah, it's it's such a weird play, but the two of them are actually very cute. And while we watched it, I mentioned how I knew 
this happening to multiple people growing up where their parents were divorced, the kids started dating, so that meant the parents had to meet because the kids are dating, Mm -hmm. and then the parents started having their own thing. And then what was always interesting is if the parents broke up and the kids uh, didn't, and then it made it really awkward, or the opposite where the kids broke up, but the parents didn't, Mm -hmm. and then that made it very awkward. Oh, I imagine the kids would throw a fickle and like, Mom, don't, I hate him. Yeah, it's also... seeing him, you're not allowed. And like... (laughs) Okay, so... I hope this doesn't like out the people who this happened to in my high school um, because it was like a big deal, but I'm not going to use names. But uh, these two kids were dating. They were together for like two years. Their parents ended up dating about like a year and a half into their relationship. Okay. The kids broke up. The parents ended up getting married. Mm-hmm. So then they bought a house together, and then these two exes then had to live in the same house together. Oh. And like these kids were together for like years, and I shouldn't say kids because that makes it weird. But like these, they were teenagers. So these teenagers who were together for years uh, ended up having to live together and be step siblings. And I'm sorry, that's um, weird. I don't want to live in a house with somebody that I've had sex with if I'm not with them. That's fucking weird. Yeah, I've. <laughs> had exes that I've not thrown exes out in my like you know adult life in my 20s where I'm like you know we lived together and we broke up and I'm I'll I'll give you time to try and find a place to live and it's awful and I fucking hate it yeah it's the worst especially when they drag their goddamn feet because they're like oh wow like the rent's way cheaper here and it's split I don't want to move out and I was like you need to fucking get out (laughs) like I know that I, I have very mixed feelings about John Mulaney right now due to the Dave Chappelle of everything, but he's 100% right when he talks about that line of like, if you've seen my dick and met my parents, you have to die, <laughs> where it's like, obviously, no one actually needs to die. I hate making so many caveats, but again, the internet takes things out of context, and this is already a very mess- messy episode, um, but th- yeah, no, <laughs> I don't need you living in my house if you have met my parents and been inside me, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no thank you. Okay, where are we going? What are we doing? Okay, well, um, first of all, I think that we probably should not have sex together tonight. I think that's maybe where we went wrong last time. Okay. That wasn't going to happen anyway. Look, I know you like me. I know that that sounds strange because of how cruel you are to me, but... uh, That does sound strange. But I think that's why you had sex with me so fast. And, by the way, that was my first time, so... You're kidding. I will get better. As our relationship progresses. What? There's been... Oh my god, why is everyone in this town so delusional? The girls around here, the highlight of their pathetic lives. It's gonna be their yearbook photo. That's not true. They'll spend the first half of their lives planning their weddings and they'll spend the second half regretting them. No, they'll have kids and be surprisingly happy. Everybody just cheats on each other. No, I would never, ever cheat on you. All right, date's over. You're insane. So after all of this breakup mess, Caroline obviously realizes, I need to make this right, and we need to fix this. She agrees at one point to have a conversation with Mr. A, and he uh, takes it a little too far. 
Uh-huh. Um, he like makes a really nice dinner, gets it like a candlelit thing. Like he's trying to win a 17 year old back. He is courting. It is the most pathetic thing in the world. We also find out at some point, uh, because of his book, because his book is very autobiographical, that he has been calling his ex-girlfriend for years. With a British accent and being like, hello, I'm doing a a phone survey on the research of cancer. Um, Are you happy with your life? How much money do you make? (laughs) Yeah. And he's clearly just trying to, like, get information about, like, is her life better than what I'm dealing with? It is so pathetic and creepy and stalkery. Like, he's the worst. Yes. And also, it's significantly better. Uh, Yeah. Her life is great. She is thriving. And she's hot. (laughs) So, mm, sorry, Mr. Anderson. He didn't even get to keep his twister mat. Nope. Didn't even get to keep the twister mat. And she's with the guy that she left him for. And... It's one of those Love things where it's one of those things where like obviously cheating is bad. Like if you have a problem with somebody, just break up with them. But yes. like you see her circumstances and you see what a wacko this guy is, and it's like, yeah, I'd cheat on you too. <laughs> here's the thing: like I don't even think she's necessarily a bad person because she has a moment where she's like, "Wait, is this Barry? Barry, are you okay?" Yeah, because he's she... clearly not. Like you can hear he's crying on the phone and he's being a fucking weirdo, and she's clearly like, "Oh God." I'm really worried about and this she, person. She even says, everyone has been so worried about you. We just want to make sure you're okay. And uh-huh. then he hangs up on her. So like, I don't think she does. Her current guy does. Yeah. I think he takes the phone from her. I don't know. Maybe that's what happens. But yeah, she. it's it's kind of like a messy situation. I can't remember if he hangs up or if it might be Barry on, hangs up. It might be on Mr. A's face at the time of it yeah. getting hung up. But that's there seems to be a scuffle over the phone. Yeah. So either way, like she, you can tell she cares like she feels bad she's not heartless yeah she's not a monster the way that he likes to paint her as um so he that the conversation happens after caroline does not show up for dinner because she's hanging out with thurston Mm -hmm. because she does make amends with him and they do start trying to like date like real teenagers and she realizes she can actually be happy dating someone her own age Mm -hmm. and being with somebody who's on her level she just you know needs to stop looking at everyone like they're beneath her. Yeah. Because there are some wonderful people. I I think that that's part of it. I think also that since Barry knew so little about her and it was just purely a sexual relationship and he was just projecting this concept onto her Mm -hmm. and there was like no knowing, I think that there's this appeal to Thurston because sex is so not the feature of it Mm -hmm. because he's not good at that. He's... He, he is he's making, trying his best. He's trying his best. He's bringing cupcakes. He wants to like give her the world. He, he basically is like, I will hold your hand and say poetry to you. He, he's kind of Brendan Fraser in the, uh, the, 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 the sunset beach scene of Bedazzled a bit. <laughs> yeah, it, a little bit. He's very much like he's such a soft boy. Like mm-hmm. he's soft boy, but not in like the toxic. I'm going to use my softness as a shield to harm you. Yeah. He's just genuinely a soft boy. Yeah. And like they work their way up to doing sex and foreplay and canoodling and all that eventually but i think it's just really refreshing for her to be in a relationship that isn't defined by like how hot she is and how Mm -hmm. like oh you're so womanly and you're so grown up and i have this idea of exactly who you are Mm -hmm. no it's it's really nice and again as somebody who's been in that position i have you know come the corner on how i feel about the things i did in high school and yeah, it was really, really nice when I got to college and like started meeting people who were at my level and were also not way older than me. And again, like age gap relationships, there it's a complex situation. There are a lot of different 
parameters that need to be juggled. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're younger than me. And like barely, barely, but like you, you are year. (laughs) You're younger than me. And that is like kind of unheard of for me. Everyone that I ever was with was much older than me. Well, I've been told I'm mature for my age. Ew. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) That's never a compliment. (laughs) No, no, it's not. No. And again, you only learn that in hindsight when you're 15 and someone goes, you're a lot more mature for your age. You're like, oh my God, am I really? Oh my God, I had no idea you were 16. Oh my God, this is so cool. You like all the things that I do. Oh my God. Like you were practically a child of the 90s. Oh my God, this is so interesting. And then you turn 25 and you go, wait a second. I was a child. Uh Not okay. I think that way I've described it in these years is when people would be like, oh my God, you're so mature for your age. I'm like, I wasn't. I just watched like VH1 I Love the 70s. <laughs> so I know like a very specific snapshot of things that are a little beyond my years and it gives the illusion of being mature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just absolute ridiculousness. So something we skimmed over because it wasn't a big deal then, but it becomes a big deal towards the climax is... When Caroline and, and Mr. Anderson are starting their relationship, uh, he blows her off one Mr. day. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> he blows her off one day on the phone and does like the, oh, I can't hear you. You're cranking up. Mm, uh-huh. Can't hear you. Like that bullshit. Because he's on a date with uh, the gym bitch of Miss Budge in order to like keep the appearances that he's going out there and doing adult things. Right. And not fucking a high schooler. Um, so later on, she's driving because she's trying to like meet up with Thurston and make amends and make Uh things better. And he calls her crying and basically like threatening to kill himself. Yeah. And that is such toxic manipulative bullshit. And she has no time for that. Uh So she pulls the same shit on him and is like, I'm sorry. I can't hear you. Oh no, you're cracking up. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And he, and he knows that she's, that she's fucking with him because he did it to her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and also she's not really doing a good job of selling it anyway, other than sarcastic. No, not at all. Like she's, she's very sardonic throughout the entire movie to the point where he calls her on it frequently. And she just doesn't give a shit. She's she's magnificent. Cause she shouldn't. Um, but what's interesting too, is I have had this conversation with people before and mentioned this particular scene Mm -hmm. because I unfortunately have had a lot of friends and also in my own personal life, uh, people who threaten to take their life. Um, if you break up with if them. If you break up with them. Oh, yeah. Which I've, is I've like, had exes who do that. Yeah. Which I is, stay with someone for probably a year or so longer than I should have because they're like, I'm going to do it if you leave me. Yeah. That shit's super manipulative. Uh-huh. And I will say like firmly and strongly, it is not your fucking responsibility to take care of somebody who does that to you. That is so unfair uh-huh. because I mentioned this scene once to somebody when their like soon to be ex was making these threats. And I was like, she kept going. Like he he figured it out. He did it on his own. You do not have to go back and, and save him. And her response was, well, I think it's really shitty that she left him like that. And it's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Like, it is not your fucking responsibility to save somebody when they're doing that because that's emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. They're they're emotionally abusing you in that moment. Yep. Like, they're if, playing the only card they've got. Yes. If you would like to call a hotline or call some sort of assistance, that is very kind of you. It is not required of you. And I, I hope that anybody listening to this knows that. It is not your responsibility to save someone else when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Do not do girl from Plainville shit and encourage it. Then it absolutely is part of your problem. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is emotionally manipulating you into staying in a toxic relationship by threatening to take their own lives, fuck that. No. I I may have mentioned this in a past episode. And if that's the case, then I'm just going to kind of breeze through it. But I legitimately like 
catfished one of my exes as someone other than me to give them someone to talk to after we broke up because they were threatening to kill themselves. So it was just like three weeks of them talking absolute shit, like the meanest, most untrue things in the universe about me to me. And she didn't know that. But I was just like, I just need to make sure that you work your way through this. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to not have this on my 15 year old conscience. And again, you're 15. So if anybody wants to play like the morality police about this and is like, mm, but catfishing is bad. You're fucking 15. I, I she, don't expect you to make good decisions. At she was unwell and had no friends. God damn it. I was doing my part being a friend. You were doing your best. <laughs> I did what I thought I could do. And it was not great. And it sucked. <laughs> And again, it would have been really cool for all of us to have the knowledge that we do now about mental health and positive coping mechanisms and personal autonomy. Like, it would have been great. We had none of those resources. We had none it of those resources. 2006. We had absolutely none of them. So, like, do not apply a modern lens of, like, actually, that was really bad. It's like the fucking, like, TikTok teens that comment stories when we talk about, like, you know, sibling rivalry as kids. And they're like, actually, that's abuse. That was abuse. Like... You picking on your sister like that, that was abuse. And it's like, calm just, down. It's fine. We're, calm down. We will settle in the middle eventually. We're overcorrecting Correct. for past problems. Yes. The pendulum will swing back towards the middle at some point. I, I, I want we will the stop new- living in extremes. I want the Newton's cradle to kind of just settle. Yes. <laughs> That's I'll all we that. need. So we're at the climax. She's on the phone with him. And then Caroline gets in a car accident and kills a man who just happened to be the serial killer that had been periodically murdering people throughout this whole movie as, like, the C-plot. Yeah, it's very interesting that a serial killer on the loose is, like, the sixth most interesting storyline happening in this movie. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's part of it. Like, this whole town is so kind of, like, fucked up and depressing and weird that a serial killer is a non-issue at this point where mm-hmm. it's like yeah this sucks but eh, we just kind of got to deal with it yeah you put up signs that say go places in pairs and you put them everywhere and then you call it a day mm-hmm. so yeah she she ends up killing this guy and the whole town kind of hails her as a hero even though like all she did was hit somebody with her car she happened to hit the right person yes if she had hit anyone else it would have been a problem yes um so that is you know something interesting that she now has to navigate um she and Thurston get together and kind of like figure out how to make their relationship work while they're clearly going to go in different directions after high school. Uh, Mr. A goes into the shower. Smart move. Um, it's courteous. It's courteous. Um, and he thinks that he's going to take his own life, but he can't because he doesn't actually want to. Yeah. So instead he, uh, he fires bullets wildly everywhere and manages to hit himself in the leg. Yes. And uh, Ms. Budge comes over to be like, oh, my God, like they killed the serial killer. They found him. He's dead. He's gone. And he spends the entire conversation being like, do you want to have dinner with me? And he's like, eyes are welling up and he's bleeding everywhere. He's been bleeding for like a while yeah, at this point. Because he calls Caroline after he's done it. And she's like, no, that's that's what it is. He doesn't threaten to take his life when he calls he calls her after. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, I'm not helping you. Like, you did this for attention. I'm not helping you. Yeah. Um, but Miss Budge comes over and she's like, I should probably take you to the hospital. And he's like, but will you have dinner with me afterwards? And she's like, yes, of course. And I was like, that's also a sign that she is not. She's maybe a little pathetic herself. Yeah. And she, now we. Have- she's a high school gym teacher in a small town. She might be settling for a guy Mm -hmm. and it happens to be this sad guy yeah so now we have two pathetic adults in love 
and you know Caroline and and Thurston are making it work and this is this is just life that is I think as she describes it the year that everything happened Mm -hmm. and I think that is also something that we don't see enough in teen movies is that sometimes a lot of shit in your life happens in one year. Mine was junior year. Junior year of high school is like the everything year for me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I should, lies. End of sophomore year into like... A 12-month window. A 12-month window from sophomore year to junior year. Like that is when everything in my life happened. Good and bad. Um, So I don't don't know. Like I I I reread some reviews because there's really not a lot of... uh, analysis on this there's no like anniversary retrospectives people aren't revisiting this movie and i do think that it's because it came out in that three-year void uh where people just don't really talk about movies that came out from this era anyway unless they're massive blockbusters you know this movie you've maybe told people about it but people aren't stumbling on stuff from this period retrospectively yeah not really um but i don't know this movie like it, it's relatable in ways that i really like is it a perfect movie no does it feel a little self-congratulatory and heavy-handed at times. Yeah, absolutely. But I kind of expect that from movies of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I love that this movie's so fucking messy mm-hmm. and, and uncomfortable to watch and uncomfortable to accept. And I know this is not going to be a popular title with a lot of our listeners who want us to just, you know, cover the, the big sleepover hits of the late 90s the, and early 2000s. Do the mid-80s. And the late '90s and the mid 2000s, mm-hmm. and just that's kind of, that's what that's our bread and butter, and I know that, and it's fine. But I like to think that we pride ourselves as like a podcast of also just being uh, archival mm-hmm. of, of being celebratory of the genre as a whole. Mm-hmm. So don't I don't really I'm not as interested and as compelled to discuss things that have been discussed ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Um, my feelings on this movie are pretty well wrapped up in like the closing monologue, which is that it's not a perfect movie and nothing lasts forever, but that doesn't mean that it can't be perfect at the time. Mm-hmm. Like this is a movie that I think I would have been a big fan of if I'd seen it as like a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that it spends so little time in like a high, high school ecosystem means that I think it works really well as a film viewed as an adult as well. Mm-hmm. I think when you're like 16, this is the deepest movie you'll ever see. This this is not like a Donnie Darko or an Eternal Sunshine um, because it doesn't have like the, the fantasy. It's not as it's it, because it's not as fantastical. But I think it fits a similar sort of like cynical, dark, but like love story void. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. I think that it does, and I think that it it falls into a similar place as a lot of these like edgier indie movies like the assassination nation, like the knives and skin mm-hmm. um, where it captures the hopelessness of high school and the things that you're willing to do just to get through without kind of going stir crazy. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we had more movies that are like that because not every teen movie can have pink title font. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. So, Harmony, the time has come. Daydream Nation is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? Or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? When people ask me about my hometown, um, usually the answer is like, oh, God, I'm so sorry when they find out where I'm from. Or they go, oh, I've never heard of it. What do people do there? Uh, And the answer is drugs because there's nothing else to do. And it's better to be like stoned out of your mind and brain dead 
to keep yourself busy than it is to actually be like thinking and cognizant of where you are because it will drive you mad. It will suck your soul out. And that's what a lot of the country is like. Um, and I, I think it's really disappointing that most teen films we get are set in like medium to large size cities because so many people, because like that's where people who greenlight films are from. That's where people who write films are probably from. That's where half the critics who reviewed this movie are from. But that's not the reality for a lot of people. And because of all of that, like this, this is a yes. I don't know when I'll revisit it, but this is definitely one that I would recommend. It's, I think it's fantastic for capturing exactly what it's going for, exactly when it's going for it. And I agree. I think you sum that up pretty nicely. That's definitely how I feel about it. And I, yeah, I really, really like this movie. And it was a nice revisit. And uh, it's a bummer that people don't talk about this movie more often. Mm -hmm. They don't know about it. Because they don't, and, you don't know what you, you don't do. know. <laughs> All right, friends, that takes us out on a very messy episode and a very vulnerable one. Please do not uh, send me weird questions about the things I've shared on this episode. I'd really appreciate that. But you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out that is inspired by Daydream Nation? The person I am shouting out this time is Nova One and the album Lovable. I wanted something uh, melancholic, something uh, dreamy. Um, this has a lot of like 60s sad pop in it mixed with like modern indie guitar sensibilities. But this album takes its time. It's, it's slow. It's contemplative. It's got a lot of feelings. And it, it builds up in a really, really satisfying way. Um, favorite songs on this album are, are Violet Dreams, uh, the title track of Lovable, and Let's Party. And Let's Party is not as much fun as you probably think it might be from that title. <laughs> yeah, you were playing me some of it earlier, and it definitely does have the vibe of this movie for sure. Oh, yeah. Alrighty, friends. We will see you next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. And save that last dance for us. Um, bye. Bye. your paper. You didn't like my paper? I have a hard time believing that Monica Lewinsky is the historical figure you most admire. I was critical. I said her problem was she lacked discretion. She had a good thing going and she blew it. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.